Welcome to The Hard Way with Anvil T&D, where three Australian veterans cover everything physical and mental health, business, education, and life lessons learned the hard way. Each episode, the Anvil team challenge themselves, their guests, and their listeners to ask the hard questions, acknowledge their biases, broaden their perspective, and have a laugh along the way. Now, here are your hosts, Dan, Marshall, and Nathan. Beware the dark humor and enjoy the podcast. So, Monday morning, you know, the Hard Way Anvil TV podcast, welcome. We are talking about not an article that we've written, but one that we have hosted. Oh, we've shared links to um, after someone reached out and asked if we'd be interested in sharing an article that they have on their web- website. The article is called uh, Sleep and PTSD. It is by a freelance journalist named Jennifer Walker Journey. Um, and she's written about... Well, obviously, what is PTSD and explaining that. And um, the first time I read this, I thought it was quite good because it gives a fairly uh, digestible um, version or reading of information surrounding PTSD and also the effects it has on someone's sleep and things like substance abuse as well. So um, you can, I definitely recommend reading it. Uh, it's a great law. Uh, it's a great informative read and there's plenty of information. Um so it's yeah, fitting today because I just had twelve hours of sleep last night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My was body was just, and I'm so sore from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a brutal session yesterday. Yeah, my chest is fried. Um, but yeah, last night, seven o'clock, I was just gone. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I don't know what. So. <laughs> mm. um, this article also was written. I believe the author is American. So a lot of this information, a lot of the information is the same for everyone, but it. Um, I think some of the all of the statistics and stuff she used were from American sources, which is fine. But it just you know something to note if someone were to read this and read the uh, statistics in it. But it starts off by just explaining what PTSD is, um, and if anyone doesn't know, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, and it's related to uh, stress. Uh, related to a traumatic experience someone has uh, lived through and um, it usually has, and we'll go into some of the common symptoms after, but it's a lot more common than people realise and um, we know from our backgrounds that the military seems to have this sense of ownership around this condition and anyone else that says they have it isn't valid and we've done podcasts on that in the past as well. Um, but just being aware of its existence outside of someone that has served in the military and just is um, a condition that anyone can get from traumatic experiences. You know, warlike circumstances aren't the only cause of this. Uh, it could be all kinds of traumatic experience. Um, diagnosing PTSD is obviously something that a mental health professional will do or uh, health professionals in general, and though it is in the medical world, I suppose, a fairly new condition um, in the sense like it's in the past gone by different names, uh, things like shell shock or war fatigue, um, I guess uh, some of the earlier examples of it. Um, Whereas modern day, obviously, we have it's called uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and it's better understood than it used to be, although like many mental health conditions, um, it's got a long way to go, I would say. Uh, so now the article does name some symptoms, um, and remembering that it is based around the trauma of a, a event, a experience in someone's past. Um, one of the signs is reliving the event. Um, so I guess an example of that is like things like flashbacks. And flashbacks, if someone thinks of a flashback, they probably think of something they've seen in a movie where it's like fully flash, like white flash, yeah, white flash. All of a sudden, it's like they're <laughs> in the experience. And some people describe it like that, but. Um, Flashbacks aren't what most would probably expect. Um, it could just be, you know, the person may just can think that they're just thinking about the past. Kind of like if they were, daydreaming almost. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but if they were to describe that to a mental health professional, the, they, the mental health professional may say to them, that's a flashback. Yeah. Um, um, avoiding reminders of the trauma as well, which um, is, you know, very understandable. If someone's traumatic event is related to uh, a, you know, a partic- maybe they had a, a, um, a violent 
incident that occurred at a certain place um, and they're most likely to avoid that place or even places that remind them of that that uh, place. So, you know, if something happened in a bar and uh, you would put, there's a good chance they may avoid bars altogether if they have a, so, a negative association there. Um, also, negative thoughts and emotions, uh, obviously, but very important. Um, these can be in the form of, um, I guess, the big three. It could be stress-related, anxiety, or depressive symptoms, you know, like hopelessness about the future, uh, feeling detached from things, uh, loved ones, um, or emotional numbness are just some examples. Uh, Hyperarousal and being on guard is another common one. It's kind of like living in a constant state of readiness and never being able to, I guess, mentally switch off is fairly common. Um, so, yeah, those are just a few of the things people can experience, um, but they're all indicators that a mental health professional would uh, use to help in a diagnosis or um, trying to help this person deal with that experience. Um, and obviously this article is called PTSD and Sleep, so now it goes into uh, how PTSD affects sleep. Um, and so it so does say that sleep is vital for helping victims of trauma process these events that have occurred. Um, but a lot of people with PTSD have a lot of difficulty falling, falling and or staying asleep, which um, interferes with the processing of those traumatic events a lot. Um, so obviously it's quite a negative loop. Um, nightmares is a common one. And um, I don't know if anyone's ever seen any movie or show where there's some kind of like psychiatric, um, I guess, like experience, there's always that the same thing. It's like that Freudian laying on the couch with the um, psych sitting behind you asking questions like, <laughs> oh, how do you feel? And talking about dreams and dreams are a common theme and even in, even in Hollywood's, uh, you know, perception of how those appointments go. Um, but yeah, even in real life, uh, mental professionals will ask a lot of questions about dreams and um, a lot of the time, like I know personally, I barely remember my dreams and if I ever do, they're just super weird. Um, I had a dream last night that I was a delivery truck driver for giant teddy bears. There you go. Wow. See, I, if yep. you would ask me guess what I dreamed about last night, I would never have guessed that ever. So I don't know if that means something. Yeah. Like I think Maybe I'm looking for comfort in giant teddy bears. <laughs> Maybe if I could link something with that but for me that's just like so they just don't make any sense yeah. like, all the time, I'm like these things are dumb i don't know why i need to explain these things but most of them i don't remember them anyway so i'm proud that's quite common a lot of people don't remember their dreams like you may be aware that you dreamed mm. but you can't recall it must um, be nice yeah well actually i can had one is either last night or very recently and again i was just super i was like i was talking to people that i was friends with in high school and I was like, and it was super. It was like, one was now an Instagram influencer, and they're not <laughs> at all. Like, they're like the last person I would expect to be something like that. And it was just super. Like, why am I here and talking to these people? Yeah, dreams are super weird, but aren't they? Your brain trying to process uh, information or something? Yeah, I mean, I think some people want to read deeply into dreams. Well, this whole book's dedicated to like, did <laughs> yeah. you dream of a snake? <laughs> well, you've probably drank too much water. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think at face value, um, you obviously need to take it all with a grain of salt. Like, mm. um, this is just your subconscious mind trying to, you know, process and order whatever stimulus you put into it in the past. I don't know, potentially 12 hours between the last time you slept. Um, I think the focus on dreams gets highlighted because uh, they tend to um, emphasize things that maybe you might be worried about or things that might be playing on your mind, but during the course of a day, um, you find ways to distract yourself from them. Um, you know, for example, when you're sleeping, your brain can go out of control. It can do whatever the fuck it wants, really. Um, whereas when you're awake, you know, you might have a full day of work. You might have to, uh, you know, sit at your desk for eight to ten hours and you've got, you know, stimulus coming in. You've got to, you know, be using your computer or talking on the phone. Um, and then afterwards, maybe you've got to pick your kids up from school or um, you've got to make dinner and, and 
sort yourself out for the next day. Maybe you got to go to the gym or something. So there's a whole day there where um, you're fairly distracted and it can be quite easy to get into a routine where um, you can fill your day with things so you don't have to think about stuff that maybe you know, a concern for you. For example, it might be, um, you know, maybe you you got a phone call over the weekend saying that one of your close family members or your relatives is getting sick or something. Um, And, I mean, this is a pretty normal phone call to receive. Um, It happens probably more often than most people would think, but, um, but it might get a lot of people a little bit worried. You know, you're thinking, oh, fuck, I hope they don't get worse or, oh, they're getting a bit older, you know, maybe this is the last time they ever get sick and all these worries might tend to play on the back of your mind but during your day-to-day life when you're at work or dealing with your kids or at the gym or whatever you don't really have much time to think about it but your subconscious mind you know in the back of your brain there is that worry there is that concern and so that can pop up in your dreams or it can pop up when you're trying to fall asleep Um, and that's I guess what a lot of uh, psychologists psychiatrists maybe therapists are uh, probably trying to get at when they're asking you about your dreams, if you do go and see a, a psych, uh, it's because they're trying to get at the stuff that you're worried about when you're not distracted or the stuff that's playing on the back of your mind regardless of your day-to-day life. Um, you know, my example personally, um, I have heaps of trouble getting to sleep um, and, you know, it, and it's every night I just can't fall asleep very easily. Um, and then when I'm sleeping, I have the wildest dreams. <laughs> like they're absolutely out of control. Um, I wouldn't, and I actually had the weirdest experience with a psych recently, or it was a nurse, I think. And they were like, Oh, yeah, do you get nightmares? I'm like, No, nah, they're not nightmares. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, are you sure? You know, do they wake you up? I'm like, Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I wake up most nights anyway, and, and I have pretty, you know, wild dreams, but I don't consider them nightmares because. I'm not having a bad time in them. Like, <laughs> um, Just normal dreams. <laughs> and and then, you know, and then she said, oh, well, um, you know, is what's happening in them good? I was like, oh, that's Define a fun. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, that's a weird way to put it. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> and so, and then I sort of got this like other perspective on like the stuff that I dream about. Is like I might not necessarily be having a bad time in these dreams. Um, you know, the things that are happening aren't good things, um, but I'm not, like, scared or anything. I'm not waking up afraid or, or you know, terrified or whatever. Um, usually I'm having an absolute ball. But <laughs> from, a, from an objective point of view, um, the events of those dreams are not good events. Um, they're not healthy they're not the kind of things that you should probably be thinking about regularly um, and so I was able to understand that they probably are considered nightmares they do wake me up quite often um, even though I don't I've never really considered them nightmares or anything um, but they are something that should be dealt with like for a long time I was like oh, whatever they're just you know the dreams that I have but um, talking to a psychologist or a psychiatrist uh, is an important step in helping deal with that stuff because uh, for a long time, I'll wake up just feeling exhausted. And so even though I'm getting probably a full night's sleep, it's very broken and it's having an effect on the rest of my life because those dreams, whether I consider them good or bad, are making me feel more tired, which means I can't recover from the gym, means I can't deal with stress properly. Uh, it means that any other symptoms of PTSD that may be you know, hanging around in my life are probably worsened by my ability to not sleep. So I think that's something to keep in mind is nightmares are not necessarily your typical, um, you know, wake up screaming or, you know, getting chased down the hall by the boogeyman or something. Mm-hmm. Um, nightmares come in all shapes and forms um, and they are generally recognisable by the fact that they will wake you up, you know, in the middle of the night, whether they're good or bad um, or, you will wake up feeling more tired than when you went to sleep or that you can vividly remember them. The next morning is generally a good sign that they're not uh, the healthiest of dreams. Mm, Yeah, the article uh, mentions that in there. It says uh, sleeping disorders can be quite common for uh, people with PTSD or PTSD symptoms. Um, Well, one, because, yeah, like Marshall was saying, um, Mm -hmm. dreams can wake you up as, you know, you're trying to escape the the events of the dream whether they feel good or bad they're obviously stimulating you in some way so your brain will 
you wake up and that's going to mess with your sleep. Um, also, being um, you also mentioned how there's people mostly don't have the time of, to think about a lot of the stuff during the day, but uh, when you're in bed at night, um, it's one of the it's like the best opportunity for your brain to go through things and you kind of get stuck with your thoughts. And if you're in a bad headspace, that's not a good thing. And it uh, makes getting to sleep a struggle as well. Um, so just the article named some common disorders, uh, probably some that people have heard of, like the first one, insomnia. Um, so, yeah, just having difficulty falling or staying asleep. Uh, and I've met people with this, um, and it's has a ma lack of sleep has a massive effect on someone's life uh, day to day. One, their health, and they also this uh, psychological state because going around every day feeling absolutely exhausted is not a good feeling to have, and it's definitely not con conducive to having a um a even just an enjoyable lifestyle. Uh, and uh, even your other. Um, you may be eating well and exercising, but if you're not sleeping correctly, it uh, hinders any physical improvement by a lot as well. So if you're trying to util um, improve your lifestyle to benefit your mental health um, as well as your physical health, then it's kind of like a big obstacle in that. In uh, for that, yeah. And it says seventy uh, percent of people with PTSD have inso insomnia um, because they develop kind of a fear of going to sleep because it's mm. when they're most vulnerable and they can't defend themselves kind of thing. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And because they've kind of developed a fear about their nightmares as well, it'd be hard to get to sleep knowing that you're kind of walking into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've had that. Um, I knew, yeah, that where you're in bed and you know you're basically just stuck stuck with your thoughts yeah. until you do um, achieve unconsciousness. <laughs> um, and I you had a phase of avoiding that and yeah, yeah, you just dread that period where you're just laying there in the dark. Uh, delayed sleep phase disorder as well, um, or delayed sleep wake um, disorder. It's a it's something to do with your circadian rhythm, which is uh, for anyone who doesn't know, circadian rhythm is kind of like your internal clock for when you sleep. So your body's used to going to sleep at a certain time and waking up at a certain time. Uh, so a person's sleep may be delayed by a couple of hours or more um, beyond yeah, what is considered your normal bedtime. So if you're someone that goes to bed at 10 p.m. every night um, and it's causing a delayed effect and you may be waking up at, uh, sorry, going to sleep at midnight instead. And um, this is going to make you wake up later as well. Um, people with PTSD uh, have an increased risk of delayed sleep phase disorder. Um, and that's just like what we're talking about where they're avoiding bed at night um, because, you know, they're kind of anxious about bedtime and having to deal with either being low with their thoughts or the dreams that come with sleep. Um, another one is obstructive sleep apnea. Jesus, I didn't know about this one. <laughs> <laughs> I got asked the other day if I have sleep apnea. I was like, I don't know. How am I supposed to fucking know if so I can't breathe when I'm sleeping? Yeah, yeah so I that's tricked, what... I trick myself into falling asleep. <laughs> so that's what sleep apnea is. Where you um, struggle to breathe while you're sleeping. Yeah, mm. it tends to happen in. Is that like people that snore? Is that is is snoring like trouble breathing or what? It can be. Okay. Um, sleep apnea is fairly common in the powerlifting community as well. Oh, because yeah, you, the more weight you put on, yeah. the more likely it is that your throat can close up while you're sleeping, especially if you fall horrible. asleep in different positions. Um, so it does. Um, you know, it does say there that um, PTSD puts added stress on people, leading to them uh, adopting unhealthy lifestyles that include eating poorly, drinking a lot of alcohol, not getting enough exercise, which can also influence the ability to get sleep apnea, you know, if you gain a lot of weight. Mm. And can lead to low blood oxygen levels, which can be life-threatening. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, example that gives to be a bad case is, um, you know, you're falling asleep, your uh, throat gets blocked off and you can't breathe and then, you know, you jolt away gasping for air. Um, but obviously there's that's there's like severe end of that and then there's the lesser ends. But, um, yeah, sleep apnea is uh, much more common. And also say, it says here that the studies suggest that people with sleep apnea are more prone to developing PTSD, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, and you're obviously, you know, waking up gasping for air is probably going to disrupt your sleep, which is just going to have um, adverse effects on your resting. 
so it goes on now to mention substance abuse and substance abuse is ext- I know military backgrounds for us we you know have personally seen a lot of people that have uh, experienced some kind of substance abuse it's a very common coping strategy for people you know uh, whether it's escapism or whatever um, drinking especially is a big one um, but you know there's people take you know and it's either they call it self-medication or mm. that we you self-medicate so like I can't sleep so I'll just um Get drunk until I pass out. Yeah, but um, people also do it with all you know all kinds of drugs. They can do it. It's not just alcohol. Um, and this is obviously going to interfere with sleep, especially if you're on, uh, say, a stimulant kind of a drug. But even if you take a depressant, say you drink alcohol and then you go to sleep, it's not conducive to resting. It's uh, not effective sleep. Um, and it does either in here in another section, this also mentions the uh, REM, which is rapid eye movement phase of your sleep. And it's really important to resting um, and it can interfere with that and create a less effective sleep and rest cycle. Yeah, so drugs and alcohol can, you can get to sleep quite easy, but it's mm. not good sleep. <laughs> yeah, it basically stops you from getting to your deep sleep yeah. phases. Mm. Um which is, I mean, we talked about this the other day. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you get super drunk, you pass out. Like, you can get to sleep super easily. <laughs> um, same with smoking weed. If you smoke weed, you can fall asleep quite easily. Um, but your body is busy dealing with those substances in your system while you're sleeping, and a byproduct of that is you don't get to the deep sleep phase. So you probably wake up less rested than mm. if you'd stayed up all fucking night. Um, yeah, so it's important to note that if you are potentially using substances to fall asleep, um, it is also going to have an effect on the quality of the sleep that you are having. You need to be aware of that. Um, so that's why, you know, doctors can be very careful about prescribing sleep medication, um, because they're trying to give you a balance between the ability to fall asleep and actually get some rest and the ability to um, to get deep sleep and recover while you're sleeping. Um, I think when it comes to substance abuse, people generally think, oh, no, I don't do drugs or, oh, no, I don't abuse drugs or alcohol. Um, but basically using them for anything more than, you know, a couple of drinks in a social situation, um, you know, any at any point in time if you're drinking to just get fucking wasted that is considered substance abuse and it can have a, a quite a negative effect on your life um if you are doing this more than you know and i mean binge drinking is now classified as alcoholism that happened a few years ago i think um previously i think the definition for alcoholism was just like you had to be drinking every single day um and then binge drinking didn't fall under alcoholism because most people most binge drinkers would not drink for like five days a week and then for the weekend they just get real smashed um but now it is classified as alcoholism and it can have a very severe impact on the way you live your life uh purely because drinking affects the chemical releases in your brain um same with doing drugs obviously and um and it can put you into this cycle of you know through the week you're recovering um you might get to friday and you're feeling pretty good your mood's elevated um, and so that's the day you go out drinking, you get smashed, and then uh, alcohol is a depressant, and it can have um, you know serious impacts on how you feel the next day. Obviously, there's the hangover, but there is also um, the fact that your body doesn't know how to release like certain chemicals that make you feel good. So you drink some more, um, and then by the time Monday rolls around, you can't drink because you got to go to work. So you probably feel like shit Monday through Wednesday while your brain is recovering. You end up in this cycle, and you just think it's because you have to go to work. You're just like, oh, no, Mondays to Wednesdays suck because I've got to go to work <laughs> those days. No, it's actually a byproduct of your relationship with alcohol. So um, it is important to be aware of stuff like that. Um, I think almost every single person I met in the military had a problem with alcohol, whether they realized it or admitted it or not, um, including myself, obviously. Um, I would also never recommend that you just stop drinking. Um, I think that it is very possible for people to have a healthy relationship with alcohol. Um, I think it has its place in social functions, obviously. The Australian culture um, says that drinking is just a part of you know, 
events. Being a man. <laughs> sure, which um, is not that healthy. No. Um, but you you should be aware of how much of an impact it's having on the rest of your life. You know, it's it's not just a few beers and it's not just feeling great that afternoon or whatever. It's having an impact the next day. It's having an impact potentially on this weekly cycle if you're going to do it regularly. Um, you know, a couple of, you know, we've seen studies have come out a couple of glasses of wine, you know, once a, a day can actually be quite good for you. Um, but it's the same with, um, you know, with anything. If I was to exercise one hour a day, I'm going to do pretty well. But if I exercise for, you know, 24 hours a day, I'm probably going to kill myself. So um, be aware that there needs to be some kind of moderation and balance with this kind of stuff as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, so next uh, goes into mental health conditions. Um, and people with PTSD often experience anxiety and depression, which um, uh, two, you know, as we've said, two conditions which are linked to sleep problems uh, in the in one way or another. Um, and so anxiety, anxiety is just like the body's natural stress response, and we've done a fair bit of stuff on this in the past. Um, but anxiety is very common, um, and it's you know, I think I don't need to explain the basics of anxiety, but um, it's just unnecessary worrying and living in the what ifs and not what's now. And there's um, a good method to uh, cope with anxiety in the moment is grounding technique techniques, which we've also explained in the past. Um, and the other one, depression, uh, it's depression is more than just feeling a bit sad. Feeling sad and emotions in general are completely normal. Um, but it's a bit more serious than that, and it um, it affects not just you know your emotions, but also how you think and how you handle your day to day activities. Um, so your sleep and your moods obviously intertwined. Anyone that's ever been you know had a bad night's sleep and is really tired for their day um, is should be aware that this that the poor sleep negatively affected their emotions. No, I can't think of anyone that's ever been super tired on the day and gone, this has made my day much it's better. fucking great. Yeah, yeah, great this, day, is, so. this has made everything 10 times better. I'm going to do this every day. Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, coffee is an interesting one to mention too So we just spoke about substance abuse is mm. people's dependency to get through everything. Yeah. I am Nathan. I am Nathan. I'm, I'm an addict. A caffeine addict, yeah. <laughs> Um, especially because it's, it's so socially acceptable as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it is what it is considered the most used drug. Yeah, yeah. it is a drug, isn't it? Like, it I am. Um, well, it's drugs. stimulant, yeah. yeah. At one point earlier in the year, I think I was drinking so much caffeine a day that I was like, no, nah, I've got to cut down on this. This is, it's a lot. And when I tried to cut down on it, I got like horrible headaches. Yeah, there's genuine, um, like, um, like full withdrawal. on withdrawal symptoms, like horrible headaches. Um, Got the sweats. I'm pretty sure I felt like I was getting the flu. Like, mm. um, and to stop it, it was one cup of coffee. Like, <laughs> it's like this was all going to end if you just drink that. Just do it. Yeah. And um, and now, like, I was able to get a handle on it. Like, I tend to be the kind of person that uh, just cold turkey stuff. Like, when I stopped drinking, I just stopped. When I stopped smoking, I just stopped. Um, but I don't think that's a very effective solution for most people. And obviously, the body doesn't handle cold turkey extremely well. Um, because you're going from, uh, it's, you know, it's like going from never running a day in your life to running a marathon. Like um, your body rejects that pretty <laughs> aggressively. Um, so you do need to be aware of how to manage stuff. You know, if you are someone that drinks a shitload of coffee and you do think that that is affecting your life, uh, maybe you are struggling to get to sleep because you're drinking coffee later in the day or maybe you've realized that, you know, a large coffee isn't having the effect on you that it used to um, because your tolerance is going up. Maybe you've got blood pressure issues. Um, it can be a case of, you know, weaning yourself off, you know, taking yourself from, um, you know, a large coffee to a medium when you normally drink them and then from a medium to a small or looking at replacing, you know, 30% of them with decaf and then 50% of them with decaf. Um, and, I mean, there's a lot of options out there for people. It's not like they have um, – I suppose they've got non-alcoholic non, non beers now, so that's an option for people that drink, Yeah, just like decaf beers. Decaf beers. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they've got, like, decaf durries or anything, but – I think vapes. they do have – Vapes with vapes. no nicotine, yeah. sure. I yeah, so they did make, like, a no nicotine. 
smoke as well. Which is just so you just get the cancers. Just just pure carcinogenic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, look, the world is constantly designing new and improved ways to help you stop doing these things. I mean, yes, it is all a great money-making scheme for all of these companies to just, like, turn your coffee addiction into a decaf addiction. And, but, um, but there's strategies out there. You don't ever have to just cut it away completely. It's the same with alcohol. If you think maybe you're drinking too much, it doesn't mean you just have to stop drinking. It means that you maybe you need to speak to someone about becoming more accountable with it. Um, maybe you, when you go out, you have a friend that they're the only ones that's allowed to go and buy you drinks and that person will buy you far less than you would buy yourself, you know what I mean? Um, or, you know, with the coffee thing, uh, rather than having a coffee every single time you sit down for a meeting, you know, most of the time it's water or you're carrying a water bottle around with you so that you don't constantly feel the need to go and drink coffee because you're thirsty or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Uh, my doctor told me to stop, to not have any caffeine six hours before I intend to go to sleep. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. To get like, I, I assume it's six hours to get all the caffeine out of your body or Must whatever. Yeah. yeah, and you just decided not to listen to them. Or? No, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't drink. I don't have caffeine after six o'clock because I usually go to bed at midnight. Does it help? I guess so. There you go. Maybe. Six hours. You heard it here first. Probably <laughs> yeah. not though. Probably from not. a doctor. <laughs> no, I have heard that one. That yeah, don't have it late afternoon because it does take a long time to get yeah. caffeine out of your body. Yeah. Yeah, um, I've heard don't have it after lunch generally. Yeah, okay. Um, but I mean, caffeine's in a lot of things. You got to be yeah. careful. It's in soft drink. Yeah. Well, I say I stop at six. Like I don't have a coffee after six, mm. but like, yeah, like nothing like a can of lean. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't think there's caffeine. Caffeine in uh, Pepsi Max. Um, I've checked on the back of the can. Oh, yeah. um, it's in Coke, but I don't think it's in Pepsi Max. Yeah, Coke's famous for the caffeine. Mm. Um, what about people that have to have a coffee before bed? I think my mum does, and I think Rob. That is does. fucking loose. It doesn't wild. Rob. I, I swear, I stayed at Rob's house one day, and he had coffee before bed. I, well, back in the like... day, we used to have coffees like at night. We'd just be like, "Yeah, yeah. bang, bang, coffee, bang coffee. Yeah. yeah, delicious black coffee." I've kind of always known my whole life that yeah, don't have coffee anywhere near when you're going to sleep. But I remember working with a dude that had 14 cups a day. <laughs> And I did a shift, a 12-hour shift with him, and he had so many, like, you know. Was he overweight? No. It was, like, a skinny, like, middle-aged dude. Can't be overweight when all is all that you put in your body. A lot of of overweight people drink a lot of coffee. Well, that's the thing, though. Yeah, he didn't really eat anything else except (laughs) the coffees. And he was, like, a guy that would have one right before bed. That's nuts. Yeah, it's really weird. Just, like, he made so many. That's a testament to your body's ability to adapt Mm. um your body develops a tolerance just like if i was to do cocaine every single day for the next 10 years the amount of cocaine that i would need to do in 10 years compared to the amount of cocaine i'd need to do right now to achieve achieve the same level of uh, yeah Yeah. high would be enormous um this is the exact same thing with coffee and it's it's easy to see with coffee because it's it would be an expensive and illegal habit for me to try and do (laughs) cocaine every day for the next 10 years um, but for me to drink coffee every day for the next 10 years is actually, like, fairly understandable. People go, oh, yeah, that's pretty normal. It's all in our own industry. Yeah. Same with drinking because I've gone off drinking a fair, like, I, I hardly drink anymore. When yeah. I do drink, I only, only take like, up. Three, three <laughs> cans to get. But then you got someone, yeah, that's been drinking. It takes them, like, a slab of VB to fucking get drink. drunk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used what? to drink. You know, most of a bottle of whiskey, I'd probably feel pretty great. Um, <laughs> but that's a lot of alcohol to, yeah, for one horrible. human being to drink before they start to feel, like, pretty lit. So, um, yeah, your body develops a tolerance to this kind of thing. Um, and, I mean, there's something to be said for reducing your intake to try and get more of an effect out of one cup of coffee, for example, or one beer. You know, if you want to have a really good night you want to save a shitload of money, it could be an effective strategy to not drink for a very long time because then that one drink is going to make you feel pretty great just, you know, for quite a long time. Mm. And it's not going to have nearly as much of an impact on, you know, your sleep and stuff because it's just one drink. Your body's going to process it in about an hour. Um, And then, you know, when it comes to coffee, if you find that it's taking 14 fucking cups a day Mm. to get the same response and those are cups of coffee that potentially you're paying money for, um, you know, that's like... I don't know how much is a cup of coffee? Three bucks. 
Um, uh, that's can a, get cheap. Yeah, it can coffee. get pretty pretty expensive. Yeah, that's Cups like like five six bucks, almost and, eighty bucks a day on just on coffee. You know, so there can be a significant amount of value in re- removing that stimulus for a little while. And then it might only take seven to get the same response. And then, you know, if you can wean yourself off even more, you might get the same feeling out of three. So, um, you know, your body, like we've said many times on this, is great at adapting to certain the, the circumstances that you put it in, the stimulus that you give it. Um, and so the more time you spend doing one thing, the, you know, the differing impacts that can have on you. Um, and coffee is a really important one to think about that for. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of people out there that are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do cocaine for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get probably, off coffee. I'm just yeah. going to do cocaine. There's probably some people out there that <laughs> are like that. But um, but with coffee, it's almost second nature. Most people don't even think that, you know, every morning they pour a cup. You know, we, like, we went through like three different coffee machines just in the gym for ease of pouring cups of coffee you're like oh you know we need to at least have like a couple in the morning so now we've got this fucking pot down there that you pot, can just we keep can have pouring. Like 12 yeah out of one effort i think one of the most dangerous things about that pot is that you don't know how much caffeine you're getting in one cup <laughs> so you'll, you'll be like i'll just have two because it's probably not as much as a regular cup of coffee and it could be more. on it, that it could be more on that thing down there it says like one cup mm. but you pour it in your cup. It's like you four pour like, cups. Yeah, like four <laughs> cups. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's, I guess, another problem is the size of your coffee cup. You could say, yeah, I've only had one cup of coffee. Yeah. And then another cheeky trick that, you know, coffee, the coffee industry has really sprung on us is iced coffee. Oh. I mean, mm. a hot coffee is fairly hard to, especially when you live in Australia, it, and it's hard to drink quickly. You know, you mm. just, you could nurse that cup for, you know, the better part of 40 minutes probably. I need to basically start drinking it the next day. Yeah. One, I get a little <laughs> sensitive do that, little mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. for an iced cup of coffee, you could be done with that in fucking 10 minutes. And then you probably want another one in an hour. So, you know, that's another strategy that you could think of is like, oh, okay, when I buy coffee, I'm never going to buy iced coffees because it's just too easy to drink. And the easier it is for you to do something, the more likely you are to do it. You know, it's just the same strategy as having alcohol in your home. So it's that much easier to just pour yourself a glass of wine or, you know, crack a beer because it's already in the fridge. You know, even with unhealthy eating habits, if you buy cookies, it's that much easier for you to just go to the pantry. But if they're not there, you know, it's a lot of effort to go out and I know Uber Eats and stuff exists these days, but and I did have a moment on, I think it was Saturday Week night, <laughs> where well I probably sat at in my computer chair for like maybe thirty to forty minutes, which <laughs> is like a long time to be debating this with myself, trying to decide whether or not I would get Uber Eats or whether I just go down to the shops. Which mm. the shops is it's easier for me to go to the shops than it is for me to get Uber Eats. Is it, is it that? <laughs> it is. What's easier about it? It takes like all about 10 minutes to get to the shops, grab some steaks and come home. But it takes like 45 minutes for me but to order. To, you have to get Uber. Uber. You have to you get out of your chair. Apartment, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a fairly active person. <laughs> like, uh, and this is what I mean. Like you can get stuck in that debate and we all know what the right answer is. The right answer is take the 10 minutes walk down to your car or your bike or even just go for a walk and get the groceries and go home because that quality of food is always going to be better um, than whatever you order over Uber Eats. But, it, you know, that whole industry is designed to try and give you something very, you know, easily. It, you know, the pizza will get delivered. You don't it's have to do anything. Convenience. Yeah. But then I also think about how shit I'm going to feel after eating that food and how much better I feel after eating, like, real food. And so that was that. It eventually won the the groceries won. I went to the shops. <laughs> you're, oh, nice. you're a strong man. Yeah. Um, do we want to go back to sleep then? Um, yes. Well, we the next to... part is our physical health conditions, uh, and the first one on the list it lists chronic pain and heart disease. Uh, chronic pain is interesting because uh, studies have found that um, trauma is very closely linked to pain. Um, I know, like in a military context. Uh, people that have had traumatic experiences from an injury they've sustained, like say it's what a bomb or whatever it may be, um, the pain is the more the longer they go with the pain, the more likely they are to develop uh, like psychological conditions linked to that event. Um, 
and heart disease. Apparently, apparently, there's a well, according to studies, there's a high chance of cardiovascular disease for people with PTSD, mm. which is um, interesting, I suppose. Um, yeah, so pain and link, they say, are uh, reciprocal. Pain obviously will interfere with a good night's sleep, uh, which is going to lead to a sleep deficit. And the poorer the sleep, um, the more likely you are to cause pain or exacerbate your pain that you already have. Um, and inadequate sleep can also reduce the body's tolerance to pain and it can worsen things like inflammation. Um, and let's go into list tips and some treatments. Um, so like we said earlier, uh, health professionals, uh, whether that's a uh, say a doctor or a specialist or a uh, mental health professional, both uh, are excellent and usually the best done working together as part of your treatment. Um, but so one of the treatments is cognitive behavior behavioral therapy. This is uh, a mental health treatment um, and is shown to be quite successful. Um, and some is this the eye movement one? No, that's so EMDR is in there, but oh, okay. uh, CBT is. Um, no, I'm sure they have their similarities because I don't know as much about it. Uh, so what? Yeah. So what's CBT? Um, changing their thought patterns. Yeah, so um, CBT is a therapy style. It's probably the most common therapy style in the world, I'd say, at the moment. Maybe up there with talk therapy. Talk therapy uh, in the therapy world, I don't think, is, a, is um, seen as very effective these days. Mm. Um, it used to be the go-to. Like Dan said, you see in the movies, um, you know, you'd have someone in that Freudian situation where they're sitting lying on the couch, they can't see the therapist, the therapist is behind them. And they just talk about their problems, you know, and um, and the problem. Then the therapist just goes, mm, mm, "Yes, mm. Let's see, how does it make interesting? How does it make you feel?" Yeah, um, CBT is a little bit different. Uh, it's about exploring um, a person's uh, behaviors and how those behaviors may be, you know, programming them or conditioning them on any given day, um, and about attempting to modify behavior in order to achieve a certain response which is you know we talk about this all the time in here um your behaviors make up who you are you know every little thing that you do every single day is having an impact on how you think and how you feel and you know how you live your life um the books you read the video games you play or don't play uh the shows that you watch the work that you do the way that you get to work when you brush your teeth in the morning you know if you shower or not the food that you eat and when you eat it and how often you're eating um you know the coffees that you drink for example the uh when you have alcohol stuff like that all of these stuff all of this stuff can turn into little habits um and these behaviors can um you know like your brain takes this information and it puts it in order, you know, it associates it with different feelings and, and ways of thinking. Somebody that does the exact same thing over and over and over again can find it very difficult to think about a problem a different way. They can find it very difficult to see a different perspective. Um, you know, it's all too common where we see people on Facebook that will get into an argument and they just have one point of view and they cannot for the life of them see another point of view. That person's behaviours may look the same day in and day out. That person may find it very difficult to change even one little thing about their day. Um, humans thrive in routine and so they are drawn to repetition. They like doing the same thing over and over again but the brain cannot tell the difference between a positive behavior and a negative behavior. It doesn't know. It just knows that if it does it enough times, it will become a habit and then it doesn't have to spend as much processing power doing it. So CBT um, has different strategies. Um, the article does go into some CBT strategies uh, that they do. One of them is EMDR. Yeah, so um, EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Uh, this is what our in-house psychologist specialises in. Uh, he's one of the, or one of, if not the leading EMDR specialists in Australia. Um, and yeah, it does. So as the name suggests, it desensitizes and reprocesses traumatic experiences and has been found to be very uh, successful. Um, another one is prolonged exposure. So this is kind of just exposure therapy. Uh, it's going to encourage you to expose yourself to the places and people that may remind you of the events or cause 
um, triggering and it's kind of getting you to own those things and slowly um, be able to take control of your symptoms again. Um, so we'll just mention those two and move on to the next part. Is there something to read out there? No. Okay, cool. Yeah, it looks mainly like nonsense. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so next one is medication. Uh, medication is entirely up to your health um, team. Um, so uh, people that are going to prescribe medications for mental health will be either most likely a psychiatrist, if not a GP. Um, but there's generally two kinds um, being SSRIs, which is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and SNRIs, serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. Um, and they have slight differences, and that's something that if you were um, prescribe these things. I always encourage people to look up what they're prescribed so they have an understanding of their own treatment and what they're on. And you also want to know the side effects that you can expect with these things. Um, so some other therapies um, that can assist people is more, you know, older school but still effective thera uh, therapeutic methods um, which is one well, just lifestyle improvements, um, things like being more active, like yoga is a great one because um, yoga is moving the body, but you're also some mindfulness to it as well. Uh, meditation, and we spoke about in the past, how meditation isn't just the old school, all the traditional thinking of, you know, sitting with your legs cross-umming. It's um, just something that puts you in a relaxed state of mind that can be, you know, it may just be laying down or whatever it could be. It is something that's going to clear your head and um, assist you in relaxation. Um, some other ones it mentions uh, mentions acupuncture. Now, we've done acupuncture. We have um, acupuncturists in the gym here. Um, they have, you know, they can treat. They do physical treatment, but they all can, also can just run things like, uh, a, you know, a calming session or like a session that may help you sleep. Uh, there's a lot they can do, and it is very relaxing, even if you are doing it for treatment, I believe, because you just get to lay there and you get to feel the areas they're working on and the ones here they're running, like, electrical currents through the muscles, trying to activate them, and it's um, a pretty enjoyable experience, I think. Yeah, mm. and um, everyone that comes here uh, to see the acupuncturist and really enjoy it. So I definitely, um, uh, yeah, would recommend acupuncture if someone's interested in it. Uh, another one that I've only has been recently, this is something that is, no one can just opt to do. I believe you have to have it uh, prescribed by a mental health professional's transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, I believe it's fairly new. And it's um, uh, they use magnetic fields to stimulate nerve cells in the brain. Um, I know in Australia it's like a, you have to be an inpatient to do this, like stay at the hospital. But in other countries, I think I believe in America, you can just to be an outpatient where you just go in get it done and then you can leave again. Um, and apparently it's found to be quite successful um, for it's the patients that uh, take it up. It seems like it's a um, final, like after other depression treatments have been shown ineffective. So it's like a... Yeah. I think that's because there isn't huge amounts of research on it yet. It's, oh, yeah, yeah it's, um, it's quite new. They're not really, it's one of those things where they're not 100% certain why it works mm, so yeah. effectively. It's got a pretty big place in the neuroplasticity movement. Mm. Um, it seems like, you know, you can use magnetic waves to influence thought patterns. Um, so, you know, it, there, it has a place in like the tech industry, mm. um, you know, rather than implanting something into people's brains, they could use it to help mm. with, and I believe they have used it to help with things like stroke victims and people that, um, you know, have a neurological condition that's preventing movement and stuff like that. So, yeah, well, I think that's what a company invested in BrainChip is doing instead of like um, Neuralink's inserting the things into your brain. Yeah. They're trying to read and manipulate brain waves more yeah which is cool um and so finally just before we close this off in the last 10 minutes we'll probably finish before then uh is sleep hygiene improvements and sleep hygiene is just the kind of process and surroundings of your sleep um so example was improving your bedtime routine so you may at the moment your bedtime routine maybe uh do some extra work up until 9 p.m and then watch stay on your phone for an hour and then go to sleep. Whereas um, 
you try and do more relaxing and um, more conducive activities that are for sleep, such as, you know, you know, they may be, you know, take a relaxing bath or shower or something. Um, you try and keep off like electronics and do something such as like, you know, maybe just listening to music or a podcast or reading a book 30 minutes before you would normally go to sleep um, to wind your brain down as opposed to continuously keeping it active and trying to wind it down once you actually want to go to sleep. Um, and also just improving your sleep environment. So uh, you want it to be dark and quiet and comfortable. You don't want it to be, um, you know, have heaps of lights on and all this background noise unless you're someone that prefers background noise for whatever reason. Um, or, you know, and I personally fucking hate when it's super hot. I struggle to sleep when it's mm. really hot. Um, yeah. So, and I, I know it sucks for some people because they don't want to use the air con because they say it's too expensive, but even just a fan, you know, we all use pedestal fans, I think, at some point or do or have um, because, one, they're great for the background noise because we've all got tinnitus um, and they uh, make it a lot cooler, so they're quite good. Yeah. Um, it also mentions investing in a new mattress. I know that's not cheap, but if you do have a shit mattress. Something I think I'll do soon, get a new mattress because I've heard that there's some pretty lit mattresses out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sleep technology yeah. is just continuously going up. Yeah, I want a mattress that hugs me. My mattress, I don't even know how old my mattress is. <laughs> I do want to get a weighted blanket. I feel like yeah. it'd be nice. I just use my Duna. Is that not effectively the same thing? Right. Heavier. Yeah, heavier. Oh, right. Yeah, I want to okay. struggle to breathe. <laughs> I already do. So. <laughs> um, and that's where the article wraps up to, into the conclusion. Um, so... Again, PTSD is a lot more common than people think, and it's not restricted to just one demographic, um, despite what they may believe or media may say. Um, it, a lot of kind of different traumatic events can lead to this, and it exists on a spectrum. So it's not just black or white. There are more, there are you know less and more severe cases of it as well. Um, but being aware of the symptoms, signs and symptoms can help you uh, recognize it in yourself or and others and also if you can recognize it then you can then treat it which is important because um otherwise being stuck with a condition like this is it sucks at the end of the day mm. so um yes if there's nothing else to add we can wrap up that's it cool awesome so thanks for listening live if you listen to this later that's great too we appreciate it a lot uh if you want to check out any of the other episodes you can on apple music and spotify it is called the hardware anvil td podcast and on YouTube, our channel is Anvil Training Development. So enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll be back tomorrow at 5 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, see, see you later. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Hard Way with Anvil T&D. This is all made possible by listeners like you, so thank you for your support. If you enjoyed this one, hit the like button and subscribe so you never miss a show. Make sure to visit our website, www.anviltd.com and check out some of our articles and other podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, any positive ratings really help. Or if you simply tell a friend about us, that would help us out too. If you have an opinion on something we talk about, we would love to know in the comments. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And remember, train smart, train hard.